This episode of the podcast was recorded over a Zoom call uh, at a time when physical distancing is important to us. Uh, so you will find that depending on the quality of the internet connection, uh, it can get choppy at times. Uh, but for the most part, you will be able to hear the conversation clearly. A uh, quick disclaimer. Uh, so in this episode, yeah, you will hear a lot of information regarding investments and. Uh, do note that I am not a financial advisor. Therefore, anything that I say in this episode is purely my own opinion only. Uh, you should be aware that if you do decide to make any investment, uh, they all carry their own risk. And, um, and whatever you hear from this episode is purely for informational and or entertainment purposes only. So please do be aware of that. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the Hello Mentor Podcast. Uh, we have Sean Tan with us here today um, with the intention of funding his architectural studies overseas. Sean, aka Ehan, um, started as a real estate agent selling properties via online property portals uh, right after his graduation. Uh, personally, he bought his first investment property when he was only 23 years old uh, and he never stopped since. Uh, Sean is on a mission to make a change to bridge the knowledge in real estate uh, for young Malaysians. Uh, Ehan, uh, this is spelled I-H-E-R-N-G, is a YouTube channel for Sean to share his knowledge and experience that may not be easily accessible by the public. Uh, his work of reviewing properties across Malaysia gained interest uh, of many audiences where he aims to educate and entertain. Uh, as a result, Sean is constantly being invited to collaborate with top-tier developers and Media House uh, numerous times as an industry expert, sharing his insights and findings after documenting more than 100 different properties. Um, currently, Sean is both a YouTuber as well as a brand and marketing manager for the Makeover Guys. And uh, with that, let's start the conversation. Hello. Hey, Sean. So, thanks hey. for having me. Oh, no, thanks for taking your time to do this. Um, you know, as, as I, I sort of mentioned before we started recording, uh, you know, I have uh, our team here with us, sort of like uh, uh, joining us for this conversation. And, um, and they're really, really keen to learn about real estate and property. Like it's, uh, mm. it's voluntary for them to join, but most of the market. So this is pretty cool. Uh, is, is, so, is it part of the KPI to come? Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I should make it part of the KPI. Uh, just to remind everyone to sort of mute yourself, uh, just so that you won't accidentally kind of interrupt the chat. Uh. Um, okay, awesome. So I want to kind of start by learning a little bit about your background, Sean, right? Mm. So, uh, I mean, specifically to real estate and then like how you started, like, if there's, you have some kind of story you'd like to share. Mm. So professionally, I'm a, I graduated as an architect. So uh, in order to go for my part three, part two and part three, I need to go overseas because that time, if I were to study privately, there were no alternatives in Malaysia. So the fees becomes a problem as I need to fund myself there. Lah. My parents don't fund me already. So uh, that started this journey of me studying and working at the same time. 
so that is when I realized how money were made. So I was involved with some gold trading, forex, uh, stock broking in a very, very young age. And my goal was to save up like 100,000 in order to fund myself. Because it's like 30,000 Aussie units, barely enough. So <laughs> the trick is to get over there, study while uh, working at the same time. Then after I got very close to that number, then uh, I didn't, I, I chose not to go anymore because after I come back, right, I look at my seniors, their salary or so. <laughs> so that is when I started uh, dealing with a lot of uh, brokerage. Last time there was no registered real estate. There was no such thing. Basically anybody can become a real estate agent, including me. And uh, that somewhat uh, started my journey of dipping my feet into the industry. So I was selling uh, houses, factories, and when I tried to sell land, that was just too complicated. So I chose to uh, study again in my master's in University of Malaya, local board. So in there, uh, I learned that people transact hotels, people transact malls. That makes house very simple. <laughs> then from then, uh, at the same time when I was studying my master's, I got myself in the development office. So... Uh, there was a property, there, there was a public development company that I worked in uh, and I was their management trainee for a year and a half. Then I stick there, I stood there for six years. So the I was with, I was, how many departments? Nine departments in total across that six years. Not something to be really proud of, <laughs> but uh, uh, that turned out to be my foundation for whatever I do in my professional life right now. And at the same time, I started my YouTube channel. And uh, it, and then we are here. <laughs> yeah. So that's the professional side of the story. But the, on a more personal note is that awareness of what real estate really is, is when I was 14, I went to my aunt's place and uh, she she kind of lured me out by using food. Lah. So, hey, Sean, uh, let's go for <clears throat> food. Then I, okay, lah, I follow. Lah. But before that, I need to do some things, whatever. I still got food, can really. So we went out and collected money from different places. So I was the runner. I went down and collect checks and collect checks and collect checks until a day when I asked her like, hey, aunt, what are these people paying you money? A very simple answer and reply from her, right? Based on my age, 14 years old, what do you want to tell him, right? Oh, they are using my space. That statement uh, really caught me for a very, very long time because at 14, <clears throat> we don't understand quantity of space, quality of space, and the economics of space. And that kind of flowed through my entire adulthood. <clears throat> and I grew obsessed about space, location, uh, infrastructures and things like that because it's also a dinner conversation among my family members where when what's your latest investment where are you buying right now did you bought the Starbucks did you buy Sati Alam yeah so I was uh, revolving around those topics ever since very young mm. well, so it was like um, like within your family it sounds like there, there was yeah. really a lot of like uh, this kind of a uh, property slash real estate activity and you were influenced by it yeah uh and and 
what what do you like most about it though? Um, like like you said, you you sort of like dabbled on different things before, right? Like different mm. kind of brokerage. So, but but you but real estate really stuck, right? So, what do you like most about real estate? Um, initially, I thought it was the money. Like I was uh trading and selling properties. Then the commission was really good. <laughs> like at that time when I closed my first deal, I still remember very vividly. My first paycheck was seventeen thousand eight hundred for a 21-year-old dude, right? Why need to work? <laughs> Why do people work so hard, right? <laughs> so that is when I, I, I really came into like, oh, this is how people make money. And uh, after that, I transacted a few more and I realized that it's not money that's motivating me. I was so afraid that until 60, I still need to do the same thing all over again, day in, day out. So when I went into the development uh, company, that is when I realized my obsession is. So I like to see uh, big buildings being drawn out, designed and built and used. Uh, so that's why I, I, I really like how drawings are translated into real life buildings. And if you guys have watched the channel before, you guys will see that I'm really obsessed with like how planes come to play, how different uh, openings create different experience throughout the space. Yeah, so that was the starting point. Like, so money, then only I realized that hey, it's not money. It's actually the satisfaction that comes with it. Right. And um, at, at what age did you buy your first property? Like, what's the story of how that happened? Um, my first property is when I was 22, age 23. And uh, I was working with a, in the development office already. So salary was uh, almost certain, like as, as certain as the sun will come up tomorrow, the salary will come in at 28 every month. So that is when I pulled the trigger and I bought a map by Ho Jin Sun. Ho Jin Sun is this uh, master drafter of the <clears throat> line of, for the maps of KL and they had the outline for MRT. So MRT was new at that time. Uh, this was 11 years ago. So uh, my budget I had in the bank was 30,000 and that means that I can only afford the property that is 300,000. So the criteria 300,000 that I can afford as close as, as, as close to MRT as possible. And uh, I start going to every stops in accordance to that map. And then I found one where the rental can cover the installment. <clears throat> so I pulled that trigger when I was 23, 22. Then uh, I was caught very surprised by all the miscellaneous costs that comes in later. That's why like in the videos, I always say we need 18% before you want to buy a subsidy property. <laughs> so you have the valuation fees, the banker's fees, the lawyer's fees, the um, administration fee, the land office fee, a lot of these kind of things. Then uh, I learned it the very hard way. So I need to owe the lawyers for a month. <laughs> Here put down a bit, there put down a bit. Because I, every month's salary just keeps going in. And because of that only, it uh, struck me. And, 10 years later, as we speak, right, only I realized the benefit of owning it uh, since very, very young. And uh, it's very, very interesting when people tell youngsters to buy early. But when I look at my investments, so when I bought it was 300 and 
305,000. If I'm mistaken, 305,000. So until today, it's 430 to 450,000. And the monthly installment is 800 because I paid so long. But all this rental has helped me cover all the installment. So uh, ever since I got the keys, the next month, uh, people start paying already. So I rented out the unit. And I realized that, okay, I did nothing, basically, uh, a bit. Lah. So the capital appreciation is so much, almost more than my savings account. And uh, this is when I realized leverage is the tool. So I... So that sets me apart from all my other peers who bought Honda Civics, not dissing Honda Civics, but just they buy uh, bikes or they, they travel Europe or whatsoever. I bought myself a property and now it serves me quite well. And this also helped me bought my second, third, fourth, fifth. And yeah, but uh, last week, cool fact is uh, two weeks ago, I went to Ding again and uh, it has changed tremendously. Uh, but back then, I wanted, I, I almost bought my first house when I was 17 just because I couldn't comply legally. By 18, only you can sign a contract in Malaysia. Uh, my my grand-aunt bought it. So it was 135000 for an apartment where the monthly rental is around six hundred. dollars uh, how, how long ago? 16 years ago. So now the unit is 500000 So my grand-aunt is looking at me like I'm, his, I'm her favorite grand grand nephew let's put it that way <laughs> you should make a lot of money from that yeah <laughs> and, and just just um, you used the term leverage just now mm. just for the people who are sort of new to this and don't quite understand what, what that means uh. maybe you mm. could you describe what you mean by like a leverage type of investment okay so leverage means I get to do things that I am not, not capable of myself which means uh, banks only uh, provide loans for people who wish to acquire property up to 90%, right? Uh, back then, so when I was buying, this was uh, 12 years ago, new context. I pay 30000 the bank pays 270000 So in other words, right, the banks are helping me make money. So let's say like today, if I were to sell my property, so 450000 I owe the bank maybe another like 200000 so net net two hundred and fifty thousand, but the amount of money that I pulled out maybe around fifty thousand. So I use fifty thousand, and to earn two hundred and fifty thousand across ten years time. <clears throat> so the ROI is like five x, but it's across ten years lah. So if all of people then compare it to crypto nowadays, five x is like what to the moon. It takes like eight days. <laughs> so the entire context is different because. Uh, investment basically is divided into modes where you got money and modes where you don't have money. <laughs> so uh, it, when I don't have money, property helped me build my wealth because like now I can earn 5x out of the capital I have, which is 1,000. I can only earn 5,000. But for properties, it's pretty certain. And uh, that's when leverage make a lot of sense to me. The other form of leverage is then other people's money and time. So uh, I look at investment as a business where my tenants are my VIP clients. So they are renting thousand five from me. It's an annual contract of 18,000. So how do I look at that, right? And make them happy so they want to extend or whatsoever. 
because the culture has always been we look down on tenants. Tenants are like the planktons in the sea, worthless lah. They all come and suck my blood, really lah. So it's a very bad uh, perception where I learned it from my aunts lah. So they treat their tenants really well. So the payments has not been delayed at all. There has been no problems collecting them for so long, and this is like across like several properties I have, but. Unfortunately, properties that with with those nightmare tenants, right? Stories like that are just way more appealing to the mass than it's just oh no, buy property, sure work until you die. But actually, like no one. <laughs> so 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 that is a form of leverage. And come to think of it, every year I only work once because now uh tenancy agreements are signed on annual basis. So every. I just look at it where every year I work once for an eighteen thousand, uh, annual contract, and I need just need to do this until thirty years. Let's say the property until today stop appreciating anymore. <clears throat> In thirty years time, I will fully own that property by doing practically nothing. In that sense, so that is leverage to me, lah. Right. I, I of course this is uh, assuming you can get someone to rent your property mm. and that rent covers the installment, right? Yep, yep. So the benefit of uh, buying properties, in my opinion, especially sub-sales, is we can pay for certainty. Like, when my when the neighbours are collecting thousand four thousand five throughout, right, it's pretty impossible why you cannot. And mm. uh, that's the two data points that I check all the time. Um, so uh, it's rental rates. So rentals are the best, most transparent, uh, the real, the, the, the truest form of data. Because for tenants who are paying thousand two, right? One, two, five, zero, also they want to go with you, right? <laughs> Include utilities or not? Utilities, our water bill is 15 bucks. Uh, they want you need to calculate, uh, uh, then maintenance fee, uh, the, all these kind of things. <laughs> then the next data point will be the past transacted price. So just look at the data. You know that your neighbors is three zero five. Another side here is three eighty. You are buying at three hundred. Good deal. And you can already know your money installment. You can already know the rental that you're gonna get, the ID that you need to furnish up, <clears throat> and the cost of it. You're playing with way more certainty than praying that the stock prices go up tomorrow. So, so a lot of people will say it's gambling. So I, I don't think so. Mm. Mm. And, and, and you, um, I mean, I was going to ask you whether it's a good time to invest or buy out, but mm. I also want to tweak that question a bit more because initially mm. in your story, right, when you, when you bought your first property, you sort of look through, uh, you know, locations where MRT stations are being built, right? And I, I imagine at the time you were thinking ahead, lah, right? Oh, mm. once the station is built, the demand for this property will increase, therefore yep. price will increase. So I buy now, yep. which I think is great. Um, at right now, at the mm. moment, we are having this conversation. It is now December twenty twenty one. Are there any such interesting scenarios uh, where someone can look to and sort of ex like hope for uh, having a? I do not use the word good bad, but like um, mm. you know a reasonable guess that this property will do well you know is there something like that um 
because there's no MRT now, right? All built already, right? That's five sites. Um, not really, lah. So like, there's like five major high risk that will complete soon. So, for example, like as we speak just now, as we speak today, right? Yesterday, I just signed another SBA. So it's my second one for the year, and uh, when you look into property, so it needs to be from several perspectives. <clears throat> one, in terms of macroeconomics, like. Mm. Is the world doing good or not? Mm. So are we in a horror? So like for crypto, uh, there's this greed versus uh, fear kind of metric, right? And investors, hardcore investors, go in when when fear is the highest, like like not like now like yesterday. So when it's very very greedy, like even aunties know when to buy, right? So that is when we exit. Uh, same thing with properties, right? So like now everyone is just very cool again to say that property is going to collapse. But when you look into the raw material prices, uh, metal or steel, right, in that sense, has increased 40% in terms of cost. Uh, foreign labors cannot come in, therefore uh, human resources fees are increasing through the roof. Engineers are need to pay more architect or professional fees are increasing. Then... Uh, land are getting less and less. It's getting scarce. So what makes you think property price will drop? A lot of people bang on uh, economy downturn. A lot of people cannot pay their installments. Then there will be auction properties. Then the, com- the country announced moratorium where people don't have to pay <laughs> uh, installments at all. So in, in on average, uh, long properties around one to two percent of the market, usually, um, and if you are expecting a, a good buy for auction properties right now, it will take, I think, next year because for a person to miss three consecutive uh, payments, then you will get warning letters. Then the lawyer will tell the bank to tell to the court. Then only to lay long. Then take another six months. By the time a new owner gets it. It's going to be a year already. So if you're betting on that, good luck because most of the biddings right now, that I'm heavily in auction market as well. Most of the bidding price exceeds market value because a lot of first-timers, then all kiasu, all cannot control because now I'm sheer clicks, right? So that's scary. Then the second one is way more interesting is are you ready as a person, right? As much as the country announcing HOC, pushing interest rate down, it means that the country is trying to inject money into the system via the building of infrastructures, highway, MRTs, and everybody get jobs, everybody got, can eat, right? Are you ready or not? Meaning, are you in a position where your career is ideal or you got your career path figured out, your savings figured out, or your insurance figured out, anything else? So it wouldn't make sense now because... Back then when I was 22, we only had stock market, forex, and property. There was no other investment alternatives. But now Pokemon cards make sense. Uh, sneakers make sense. Uh, antique or vintage clothes make sense. Then now you got crypto, you got global RICs, you got bonds, ETFs, uh, US stock market. <clears throat> it's so easy and I can buy everything on the phone, right? That makes property a less uh, sexy kind of option right now because you have all this to consider. Like you, you need to know that your money is going to lock there for the next 35 years. 
So when you are guessing that whether this property can make sense in terms of uh, money or prospects or whatsoever, right? I will always advise people to look at themselves first. People even if I will tell you right now, okay, like I can tell you what I bought yesterday, but you may not be in the same position as me. So I think uh, for, especially for first-time home buyers, a lot of people want to know my portfolio, but there's no point. I can tell you the 10 properties I own, but none of them within your affordability or you are just in no right decision to own one now. Yeah, so that, that so to take that topic offhand a little bit, so sub-sale properties can can let you guesstimate better. New properties like uh, like the announcement of Dash Highway, the new highway connects from Wangsa Maju off due to Wangsa South, then the MRT3 coming up. Everybody knows all the news. Not like last time. Last time I did the homework, I buy the map and I highlight myself. So information becomes equal now whether or not you are doing a homework. And guess what? Property developers are also pricing in all those premiums. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you will find a property. Hey, you know one there got highway. Uh, they don't know yet. <laughs> it's almost impossible to find such deals anymore. Um, that's why a, a, a trick in the industry is great deals are crafted. Because, uh, as I mentioned in the channel today, is a lot of people go into, if or not, if any one of you walk into the sales gallery today as an individual, unfortunately, you are getting retail price. As an investor, I will not pay retail price for properties. So uh, what people do is then uh, we buy in bulk or personally for myself, I'm using my name. <laughs> so, so some developers say, oh, Sean Tan is buying or without saying anything or 20% of so, so that's good. <laughs> uh, and hopefully, I will have a free property in the future. But that is when I start crafting out different uh, means of buying a property. So the very unfortunate truth that a lot of people don't know is uh, the price, the entry price is not the same for everybody. Mm, mm. If, if I'm not Sean Tan, but like Sean Tan knows me, do you think they'll give me 10%? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this <laughs> Actually, that's why that's why I, that's why I issued my NFT uh, recently. So a few oh, of wow. them, okay. yeah, a few of them got sold. So it's like somewhat into the insider circle, where I somewhat can craft deals in the future. Uh, so if you guys know me, then get, because very proudly I can say here is that all the reviews that you guys seen, right? Um, none of them were really politically correct in terms of the developers aspect. So I do not collect any commissions or I have, I have no correlations to the result of sales. Like some projects, like one Elmina sold 73 units of one video and average price is uh, 800,000, right? Just imagine a commission, right? But I choose not to. So, and, and I emphasize this a lot, but a lot of people still, no matter how I say it, I'll be able to believe that, right? You so you got money, don't want to take me. <laughs> but then um I a lot of people forget that I was an investor before I started the channel. And uh yeah, so so that is something that I'm working on. Like normal people will then know how to buy and when to buy, just like watches. Like, and it just mm. like practically just like anything else. How 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 many um you mentioned bulk purchases now out of curiosity how how mm. many properties do you have to buy at once for them to consider it a bulk purchase? 
So on a normal basis, it's like family and friends. So like maybe three to four, then the salesperson or out of courtesy gives you a portion of their commission, right? So that is right. the one way. The other way is when we have distressed properties, for example, uh, a project that I was that I launched uh, two years already, but the sales is still horrible. So I need to clear stocks because cash flow is important. And uh, I need to clear off this amount of stocks, but I cannot do it publicly because it will offend initial buyers. So the initial person who believed in your brand and buying firsthand now got stuck also. So what they do is they deal with a lot of these property speakers and trainers out there. So they take in like maybe 30 units, 50 units, 100 units. Uh, and in exchange for that, then you get a 20% of discount or 30% of discounts. Yeah. So that is the usual way people do it right now. Hmm. So in order to get into this kind of insider circle, there will be a fee, definitely. Um, so they pay maybe like now for five to 10,000 just to get into that cycle, that the circle, and then they will get access to all these deals. Mm-hmm. Oh, because just to be informed. Yeah, yeah. Just to know that this property, like I know somebody is selling, uh, in fact, right, like, like personally, I just bought my property yesterday at a price that is cheaper than the first buyer who bought the property. I'm the last buyer. So the building is sold out, so I just number one more I took it. And imagine if you are the first buyer. So, what? <laughs> right? So, so it's very unfortunate. That's why um, it's very difficult to teach that instead. So I can only demonstrate and show further in how to do it. Because, yeah, like the entry price matters as we calculate rental and that determines your ROI, that determines your installment, that determines everything else. Mm. Mm. And, and if you are, let's say, um, someone considering, like a young Malaysian, mm. uh, you, you consider making a first purchase, uh, what, what do you think you should do? Like what, what, what would be your thought process into how to get your first purchase? So that's uh, the four basic steps that I established after 500 videos, right? <laughs> so the first one would be to know the intent of buying. Is it for investment purposes or is it for own stay purposes? Because um, two considerables are different, absolutely different. One, I only look at dollar and cents, no bullshit. The other one is purely what I like the location and all. But a lot of people cannot pull the trigger because what they like, they cannot afford. What they can, what is within their affordability, they just don't like. So that becomes a problem. Um, but the rule of thumb is uh, to get a home uh, that is, that where your installment can be covered by rental in 70%. It means that 70% of your installment can be covered by the rental. That's a good buy for your own state. So because of all this discussion that I established that rule, because we, we, we skip that first. So step two is uh, to know your financial situation. A lot of people did not check that, like their health check. They did not, they, but they rather not know they have a problem within them. So if you go to the bank today, find out how much can you loan. Like, do you have a problem within your, like there's one hidden credit card that you don't know you have apply then that's like two bucks but because you didn't pay that outstanding it becomes a mark within your secret report it's pretty common then your PTPDN or some uh, 
uh, utility bill that you hold for very, very long, those creates very bad remarks on your uh, credibility score. So after understanding that, then only you form that, okay, what's the range of affordability? And then I will suggest to look into 20 different properties around that budget before you buy your first one. So within this process, it helps you find out a few things. Number one, what you really like. And to really have a reality check, what can you really afford? Then the difference between a high-rise, a landed, a townhouse, far away, close to city. Then you slowly know what are your options. So that leads to point number four. When you pull the trigger, make sure it's an informed decision and it's a calculated risk. So a lot of people buy, they don't know what they buy. Then a lot of people don't know, huh? The money is normal, it's 2008. Oh, this kind of thing. So yeah, so that's the four basic steps that I advocate a lot. And a lot of people follow it. So a lot of people are now writing to me uh, frequently on email. Hey, my first property that I bought, right? Just got rented out. You can't see it. Yeah, good. So it means that if it has, if a contact is a young Malaysian, as your first home, buy an investment one. A lot of people start buying a dream home, right? And one of the worst uh, decision ever is to buy a dream home when you're 28 or 25. <laughs> Because what you know about life, <laughs> especially in this uh, working environment where two years in a company seems long, uh, you don't know where you'll be working, you, don't, you will never guess your financial situation, you will never know that you will come out with a brilliant idea that somebody will fund you to do it. Then with a burden of a dream home, and dream home by definition is something that you can barely afford, that's why it's dream home you're only going to get into trouble because a lot of people, especially young Malaysians, don't see this. A lot of people buy their first home, especially men. Unfortunately, the burden falls on them, uh, me included. So the after you buy a home, then you need to organize, figure out the wedding. Then after the wedding, then a lot of people don't talk about renovation. Those are full cash, right? Then after that, you need to plan out a wedding, then maybe the the holiday or whatsoever then uh, get a baby then like do you a lot of people don't know confinement centers cost easily five figures right now for a room <laughs> so it's crazy and and all of this right happens when a guy decides he wants to propose to a girlfriend once I made that decision the ring and all these other costs comes in one go <laughs> Yeah, so, I've heard these stories before, yeah. Yeah, so, and it's pretty common just that nobody point, points out that if you have invested one earlier, not thinking that it's a dream home as per se, then everything will be fine. Because uh, when you buy a house and using dream home for the both of us, lovebirds as a context, right, you'll get into trouble uh, because it's going to be a landed house that you can barely afford. Then when you guys get married, you'll be in a situation where one of you is going to work 25 days just to pay the money installment. That will just lead you to that red, red race kind of situation by Robert Kiyosaki. You've got a new manager, you cannot do anything. Your boss hate you, you cannot do anything. They'll be in this huge stress for what a house can you, you can barely afford. Mm. And in that pursuit of that mode of dream home, a lot of people they don't care as long as it's a landed terrace, right? Anywhere else, okay. 
so they buy in a very far away place then you, they realize that traveling to KL right, it's taking them two hours to three hours a day it's quite silly so and now I furnished up the unit already but then I need to rent up another unit in KL just to be close to my office then the money installment it's like a double whammy you know? yeah I don't rent out that dream home because I furnish everything I, I see him here I, I, I heartache when I see my tenant go and break the house then when I sell because it's far away from the city the second hand value is lower than the initial price yeah so it's going to be a have work all together and it's not that foreign to me because I get all these emails on a daily basis hmm. like the title is what can I do should I cut losses like nightmare house Mm. all these kind of titles in my inbox like on a daily basis mm. but unfortunately parents will still advise buy blended no matter how buy blended <laughs> yeah so <laughs> <laughs> interesting uh. actually it sort of reminds me of like my own story a bit I um when I first got married I did own some property mm. but and and but what was interesting was I rented me and my mm. wife we actually rented a property that was a lot smaller mm. than the property that we actually own. The yeah. one we actually own was nicer, mm. but rather than us staying it inside, right, we actually just rented it out so that someone would pay for the installment. And then yep. we lived in like a much smaller place, like a very, very, very extremely modest place because of that. Like thinking about, oh, rather than we pay ourselves and we enjoy the property, maybe we are not at the stage that we sort of I don't I use the word deserve, but something like that. Like we don't mm. we're not really at a stage where we should be staying there. Yet. Yep. So why don't we stay in a smaller one? But even but some when people find out they find this a little bit strange, mm. huh? you own the nice one and then you go and rent out to someone and you go and stay in like a yeah. one that's like very different, you know. So yeah, it's interesting that you brought this up. I think it's actually quite common. A lot of people when they think they want to buy the house, they want to go stay in the house. Yeah. But they may not think, oh, I go rent. Yeah, you know. So within my circle, right? Um, first of all, a lot of people do not know that ordinary a lot of Malaysians actually like within my circle again, uh, they own fifteen to eighteen properties. That's One a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is not so a like, like personally, my my goal is to own like twenty five. So I'm working towards that. But then, uh, after all those investments, right? They rent a place that they stay, but we invest in the place that we want. But we own, but we buy the place that we want to invest. Because I think, as I read so many, as I have so many conversations right now, I do think that landed properties are a temporary demand. It only makes sense when my kids are growing up, like from six to eighteen. After that, where they go, they will never want to come back anymore. And then, uh, instead of the house serving the owner, it becomes the owner serving the house which is the exact thing that I briefed you before this conversation, right? I have a lot of people within their 50s and 60s, empty nesters. They have like four children, five children. And last time, you know, like rich people, right? They want to host every family in one house. It's no longer the case because the in-laws cannot stand each other. So they have this empty mansion that is 14 million, 18 million. They cannot sell because it's where they grow up. Plus who can afford 70 to 18 million mansions nowadays, right? then they want to choose somewhere closer to the city because it's just easier to maintain. They cannot travel because the fish needs the care. They got uh, the three uh, mates at home. 
that needs instructions. It's silly, it's first world problem again, but it's real. <laughs> so that puts another different perspective on us pursuing that dream home. Right? We want Samidi, we want bungalow. But then we see people, right, instead of uh, uh, going into that mode of having a big mansion, what people do is they rent for a weekend. And a lot of my friends as well, they rent like Tropicana, huge mansions on a 12,000 monthly rental. So I asked, uh, like 12,000 crazy, we might as well buy one. No, uh, the amount of work that the owners need to do uh, exceeds the rental amount. Roof leaking, la, gate spoiler, the water feature stuck, la, landscape. La. All the people don't see these kind of things. And like me, I forgot I'm staying with my in-law right now. Like I look at my father-in-law every weekend, I cannot enjoy one. Need to clean the backyard, need to clean the, the kitchen is bigger than a normal unit, right? But then you in order to just wipe the kitchen cabinet, it takes a day. <laughs> so so like, hmm, that puts in a very different perspective altogether. So yeah, I, I really do think that invest in a place where you buy a place that you choose to invest. I think it's a very practical move where it's just cheaper and more affordable to rent a place that you want to stay. Mm, mm. And, and what's your view between, say, buying like a new development mm. versus, you know, buy second and third hand? Uh, and, I, and I suppose, um, I mean, if it's second and third hand, this is my first thoughts, right? Second mm. and third hand, maybe you, you people staying there already, you have some track record of like what that place is kind of like, how is it doing? But at the mm. same time, you know, some people don't feel so nice like that second, third hand mm. versus new, nice. You go to the showroom, everything looks gorgeous, right? Yeah. And you know, it's brand new. So so what, what are your thoughts? Um, it depends whether you've got money or not. Uh, <laughs> so that's the very unfortunate truth is that if I got 18% of the property, so a lot of people don't know this fact. Just to buy a 500,000 property, I need to have at least 90 to 100,000 in cash just to own the property. We have not reached renovation yet. <laughs> so renovation is another ballpark figure where sky is the limit. And uh, if you're buying a landed, then it's even worse. So conditions come to play. But buying, so it's that, com- uh, that very uh, common discussion about like new and old. Uh, new is when you pay 1,000 or 500 today, as long as your loan can approve then tada, you can tell your mother that you own a house with it. <laughs> but uh, on the other side, is you don't get a lot of certainty, especially if you're a first-time first buyer, right? Um, it's pretty dangerous, actually. Like you don't know your unit facing. You don't know whether are you buying higher or lower. The property developers also know how to play the game, right? It means that they are pricing future price into the houses that we buy today. Okay. Oh, actually I actually have a question from someone right now uh, mm. from our team. Mm. Ah, it looks like uh, a very interesting one. So I'm just going to read it out. So I've, I've been following your channel for one to two years. Oh, that's uh, great content. Mm. You have a Thanks, fan. Man. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, yeah, you did buy a house under Maybank House Key Program. Does the pros outweigh the cons compared to traditional mortgage loan? Is it true that you can't rent the house under the program unless you convert it to full loan? Or is it better to convert to full loan after five years or ASAP? 
Mm. So Shahi, thanks for watching. Uh, yes, house key is something I bought uh, for my house here. And if we look into the intention of the program is to help uh, home ownership, not investment, uh, home ownership. Uh. So it's to have, so Maybank uh, pushed out this program where it helps fresh uh, couples who want to buy a house beyond their affordability. So they are helping them uh, build up their credibility so they can own that, right? And by buying in this method, you don't have to pay progressive uh, payments. So for those who don't understand, when you buy a new property, until you get your keys, right? When the building is still under construction, you need to pay interest. A lot of people don't know that. Huh? I didn't, I pay for what? <laughs> so you're paying for the construction interest, right? Then uh, you don't have to pay all that. And in this mode, uh, a bonus is the first year I after I get the keys, I need to rent from Maybank. So at that moment of time, if the property is not something that I want, uh, I cannot also I cannot cancel. So I can only cancel after year two. Then uh within year two, three, four, five, I can choose to convert that house key into a conventional loan and buy the property at the price four years ago. So that gives me a uh, uh, an, an opportunity to see whether this property price can increase in value. So it's a very good test market kind of thing. And uh, every Malaysian get one chance only to apply for Housekey. So if you compare to a normal mortgage loan, it's the interest fees uh, more and less. You don't get rebates in that sense. So if you buy directly from a developer under the conventional loan, they will give you 10% discount, whatever, whatever. On a Housekey, they took full amount. So it's a 100% loan kind of thing. So to me, uh, I do not plan on finishing the payments for any of my loan. I'm going to drag them until I die. <laughs> so that's the plan, right? So is it true that you cannot rent? Um, who's going to enforce, right? So the truth about, like, let's say I buy this property, is around 800,000. The monthly installment for that loan or house key loan is 1,002. But the property rental price for my unit type around that area is around 3,005. In other words, after I get my keys, I don't want to stay there because I can upgrade to some mansion really. <laughs> so then nothing is stopping me from paying the install, paying Maybank 1,002 and I rent out 3,005. So that's an RB charge that I can enjoy. Again, who is going to enforce as long as the installments are paid? Right. So, uh, is it better to convert a full loan? Um, the ideal one is to convert within year two. That will be the best financial one. But after you convert year five, right? Because you need to pay the first four years in rental. So that's somewhat cost. But if you are renting somebody somewhere already, so it's not an extra cost to you, like, In that sense, then can life insurance be replaced? MLTA, yes, but it can get kind of tricky because a lot of uh, bankers use MLTA as that discount for you to sign up their loan. Like now, you you, can, you apply this loan 3.1%. You want 2.9 or not? You buy insurance from me. So the commission is just higher for that particular insurance product uh, instead of their loan. So that's often the case now in the market, but yes, uh, MLTA is way pricier, but there's a huge cash value in the end and I can put it in different, different properties. So it only makes sense if you have a portfolio of them, but if you have 
one or two is very good already, but it's just easier to put it under MRTA. Cheaper as well. Oh, thank you, Rashad. Thank you for your question, Chaya. So, um, uh, you know, so, so everyone who's listening, you know, feel free to ask a question if you have one. I just jump mm. back here to some of the stuff that I wanted to ask. So I think one of the very uh, pretty common questions I've heard before is like leasehold versus freehold. Mm. It's not something I'm super familiar with. I, I bought freehold because, uh, you know, it's people feel safe. Lah. So yep. I, I, I don't know. Like, what was your, what's your view? Um, it's if you place uh, side by side, of course I will buy the free one, right? Mm. But is leasehold a problem? It's only a problem because every time I wish to transact the property, um, uh, there will be a longer process because I need to get the consent from the state government. So the state government gets a say whether you can sell or you can buy. Um, a lot of people don't like that. <laughs> the, other, uh, the other one is that after 30 years when your tenure only left 60 years, right? A lot of banks do not want to loan you anymore. <clears throat> they don't want to let you buy or give you a loan because they're just worried that after 30 years, right, the property is the value drop. So it just doesn't justify the loan amount that you're applying from me. <clears throat> and in KL, there's no real uh, case study where uh, this whole property has been renewed. In Penang, we have several, like the one in Queens Bay. <clears throat> It was 280000 when the tenure was left 20 over years. But the state government with 1000 or 2000 the property price immediately shoot up to 800 over 1000 Suddenly, it becomes pro-government. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> every auntie, uncle, yeah, we love Greenland government. Because <laughs> imagine right, at, your, at that time where your property is fully paid, right? Out of 280,000, suddenly it's worth 800. It's a like, dollar. So, so what I'm seeing right now is uh, it has done before in Malaysia, but just in KL, it has not. That's why there's a lot of this fear in the market of buying a leasehold property. Uh, whether you're lucky or not, in the market right now, what's left is leasehold property. All freehold, all people take really, all built landed properties really. Um, but you think about it, if uh, if the government die die wants to acquire your property, whether or not freehold or leasehold they will acquire. Because there's this act in the National Land Code where I don't have to reason with you why I need to buy a property. But at least the government will buy at market price. <clears throat> uh, not like Singapore, they will buy when it's 1960s. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so we don't have a benefit tax like in other a lot of countries we have benefit tax. Right. So, so imagine if your property is here, I build a mall here, then uh, because of the mall, your property price increase, I can tax you for that capital appreciation, which is silly yeah. like, right? But oh. that's how people work. Um, oh. That's why in Malaysia it's we are very fortunate. But um, looking at it right, leasehold gives you a lower entry. Leasehold also means higher use of land because that's why the government put it as leasehold. Just in case when development happens rapidly, I need the land back. Uh, yeah, so that's the logic of freehold and leasehold. But you know, most of my properties are leasehold. And if you think about it, a lot of people are like, oh, after 99 years, right, the property is going to 
uh, going to the government straight away. In hundred years time, I think the the apartment or so <laughs> don't know look like what really. like my if I, if my grandfather were to leave properties for me today, right? I wouldn't want them because it's in a setting where they think it's cool and hot, which is all the seaside, uh, all the riverside. Uh. Now everything in the CBD, right? Right, we don't know what's gonna happen. So I think it's my children's problem when I buy a leasehold property. <laughs> it's not my problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get the benefits uh, and later they have yeah. to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and um so uh, another question I want to ask is um, also fairly common in terms of like refinancing. Mm. Right? I think it's quite, uh, I mean, I know that we went through like a property boom and, you know, property valuations went up and a lot of people started refinancing their homes. Mm. They get access to more money. What mm. is your view on this, on refinancing? Um, <clears throat> the difference is intent on why I refinance. Mm. <clears throat> like my goal in refinancing would be, for example, the apartment that I when I was 32. <clears throat> now the level of equities I have in the property is around 100 200,000. If I were to refinance that 80% out of it, I'll cash out 100 over 1,000. <clears throat> so now the difference is what to do with 100 over 1,000. A lot of people thought it's free money, which is not. So it's just a future money that you can take up as a loan. So if I were to use this 100 over 1,000 and acquire more properties that can break even, in terms of rental versus installment, that it makes sense. Or I use a housing loan to roll for my business because a business loan is around six to nine percent, depending on how big is the loan. So a housing loan makes more sense because it's two point nine percent right now. So the so so the main uh, <clears throat> the main stress for me is when people are not exposed to such amount of money before. Unfortunately, not everybody are exposed to six figures in their banks before. Mm. Suddenly, when you have such money, right, everything becomes cheap in relevance to their amount. Yeah, so if you have, you have the money, then, uh, you know, obviously, if you reinvest it into some, like an asset that grows and makes you more money, that's great, right? But then the yeah. danger is that you start spending it, like you waste the money, you know, and, and mm. ultimately, if you refinance it, it means that you sort of still have to pay the bank, right? Uh, mm. Money eventually. So, yeah. Mm. And oh. like my, my, my strategy is actually like, because now like, for example, my uh, installment is 800. So my rental is 1,005. It makes sense for me to take up more loan where my monthly installment becomes 1,005 and it can be balanced out by my rental. So that amounts in uh, maybe eighty to hundred thousand in cash. Uh, I, I have uh, two last questions. Right. Mm. So, first question I have is in terms of like common mistakes that, uh, especially mm. for first time buyers. I think one of the things you mentioned just mm. now was a lot of people buy their dream home very early, right? They we don't buy a place to stay. They sort of uh, overspend lah. Right? And, and, and buy something that's beyond their means, but they love the place, right? And they buy too early. And in the end, it just becomes a burden to them. So, so that one, I understand that. Mm. Is there any other common mistake that you see, especially for first-time buyers? Uh, people don't do enough homework. People know more about the property after they buy compared to before they buy. 
so they, they justify their purchase after they sign the, the SBA. Or then, hey, you know, Sean Neighbor uh, got this development. Wow, the new world is going to come. So it just further justifies the value of the of their move. Lah. So in that sense, so that's funny. And uh, a pretty common one is uh, they choose to just blame others and not take any action. Like a lot of uh, experts, because all of us grow up in a home that makes all of us users of real estate, but uh, they are just taking that role of commentator and not doing anything. Because the best thing actually when you're buying young is that 35 years loan. That, that, that very, very low uh, monthly installment is just the best thing ever. But a lot of people just choose to just sit it out. Mm, knowing that, hoping that, uh, yeah, I'm going to move to Thailand, when I, yeah, I'm going to move to Singapore, I'm going to work there and earn sing dollar. So a lot of people will just say that that rental life that is just so mobile is the future, right? But most of them, I call their bluff, it's just an excuse for them not to not save money. When they justify that uh, that new car of theirs or that new kicks <clears throat> that collect off-white with Nike or whatever you call it, just because they know that, oh, I don't have to save for a property. Because if I were to put property as your goal, 50 to 80,000 in three years' time is a lot of money. And with the amount of social media marketing that we, have, we need to go through, right? None of these youngsters has that discipline. The only thing that they need to do is to not spend money on dumb things. But in their context, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult, especially when your peers are within the same group. Lah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the third one. The fourth one, I would say, is to listen to the wrong people. They listen to their doctor friends regarding investment advice. <laughs> Not dissing doctors, right? But I'm just saying that the metaphor is just that to listen to people who are not specialized in that industry. And uh, just because he studied until university or he studied until whatever, doesn't make him a great investor. So, and yeah, that's why it's very unfortunate that uh, real estate investment is not a dinner table conversation as we like. Mm-hmm. And the only resources for youngsters now is to go for that uncle that has a better right or that a friend who can look like they earn a lot like put up pictures on top of cars or watches or whatsoever yeah so end up a lot of them are just uh, victims to sales <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah I think I know what you mean uh, <laughs> okay one last question uh What's your so what's your forecast for the property market in Malaysia next three to five years? Mm, uh, I think I mentioned this like since the start of the pandemic. A lot when I after every lockdown, I buy one another property. <clears throat> a lot of people call me insane. Uh, they want to like just prove me wrong in the future. I, I hope so. Um, but our office, we think that bull run is coming. Several reasons. Um, because of the global economics, especially after Evergrande. So property developers are having a tough time in uh, holding cash right now. So like they have a lot of, like, okay, property developers got two that One is with cash. They cannot hold so much cash because the uh, inflation is just too high. 
Like if you look into the prices of steel, <clears throat> and for those who are into watches, right, the prices of watches like increase 50 to 80% in a year. Insane. <clears throat> then uh, their money is just shrinking by the year. <clears throat> Official numbers is uh, it drops every 100, it comes 94 ringgit next year. But it's a big problem if you have 100 million in the bank. <laughs> it's only worth 94. <laughs> so, so all of this, they need to figure out something to do, right? Then for those who are not having any money, they depend on banks to give them bridging loans. Uh, they cannot get any more bridging loans because the bank's fear of ever grand day happening again. So that affects the supply in the market. Like you see, the, the rate of launches in Malaysia has reduced tremendously. A lot, of, a lot of people have that point, right? Now, no new project, all like recycle projects. And if you think about it, uh, Malaysians uh, is still a growing population. And as long as there's new babies being born, there will be need for real estate. Right? There will be need for properties. And I don't think there's a sufficient amount. Yes, we have oversupply of the wrong product type. <laughs> so as long as you uh, buy the right product type, you'll be fine. And uh, that's why we think that the price is going to go up tremendously um, across. Yeah, is, <clears throat> I used to blame my mother for not uh, giving birth to me earlier because we, I missed out the gold rush <laughs> earlier after the crisis. Right? But now it's coming again. <clears throat> that's why I'm not, not only uh, saying, but I'm also working the talk. <clears throat> by acquiring heavily. So I'm acquiring a lot, a lot of properties. And as long as the rate of rental can cover the installment today, it's going to do fine because demand <clears throat> and confidence is going to come back. Like you look in malls right now, right? Everything is like free. You know? <clears throat> For those who uh, want to experience that, like, if just when you wonder the market is very poor, like a lot of people got no job, no money, right? Try walking into a Rolex boutique. <clears throat> Practically, you got zero watches for sale. And you go in there, I want to buy a Daytona, for example. People will laugh at you. So everybody just figuring out ways to diversify their money right now because cash uh, need to go through inflation the worst. That's why everybody is figuring out what asset to buy. And in this sense, assets are all increasing in price. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know the Rolexes were sold out. Because <laughs> I, I imagine a lot of people just looking for places to put their money. Right? I think yep. this is a, a good point to sort of like, uh, you know, end, the, end this conversation. Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you, Sean. I mean, mm. you know, you have a very popular channel. Obviously, you can see that even a lot of people here, they, they follow you know, they follow your channel. So, mm. um, I, uh, I, so thanks, thanks for your thoughts. I, I, I really look forward to see whether, you know, this bull run happens as someone mm. who owns property, you know, I'm like, yeah. that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the only, the only people who is hoping for a property crash, right? Are people who have yet to own one. Right, right. Unfortunately, other people, you, uh, we hope for crash. These capitalists are all making all the money, right? Unfortunately. Lah. So whether you like it or not in the future, there's only two options, to be poor or to be rich. Choose one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
it's very uh, unfortunate, but it's very vulgar. It's very direct, but that's the reality. Yeah. Oh, someone just slipped in the a question. Let's just do this mm. too, lah. Then we we'll call it. We'll call it the end. Uh, so I, if I'm looking to buy my first, so I've we have a question from him. So if I'm looking to into buy my first property for investment, should I care or worry about what the property would be like in thirty years when the loan finishes, or do I look at renting out for ten years and sell when the value appreciates? Um, entirely up to you. Um, my take is I would never sell any property. So imagine if the rental covers the installment, like if I like if all property be like my first one every month extra five hundred, right? I can only pray that I have fifty of them. So every month, just give me five hundred, and by thirty years, I own all of them. Why sell then, right? And when I sell, then it becomes a very interesting topic where. Uh, how they value the property. If you tell an investor that your, your investment brings 5 to 6% ROI, a lot of people will be coming right now because uh, the FD rates right now is only 1.9, <laughs> provided you have 100,000 in the bank. So it's crazy. Practically, it's you can't even cover inflation with that rate. So that's why now assets are increasing value in that sense. It depends on how you want to play this game. So, and, and 20 years down the road is a long time. And 20 years, right? Imagine like we just going to pandemic, but these two years change everything. <laughs> so 20 years, long time to think about that. So yeah, so question two. Mm. Mm, yes, do apartments depreciate in the long run since landed property value is derived from the land value? So uh, I have bad looking house, but it's still expensive because the value of the land is high versus always new apartments coming up. Um. Yes and no, right? So uh, if you look into Wong Kiara's uh, apartments, they are maintained in the best form, right? So like, uh, yes, uh, capital appreciations happen more on landed properties. But what we don't see is landed properties in popular locations. You see landed properties in Kampong Kampong, you see they got value, made the land also got value. And the value for development, we always look into three things. Land cost, development cost, and um, construction cost. So um, that's why if the property can be rented out in your question one, right, the value will never drop because it's based on the demand of space. How I look at rental is, is that uh, reflection of the temporary demand for a particular space. Why Bangsa South fetches more capital, uh, more uh, ROI compared to Bangsa itself? And Bangsa old homes. But if you pass to a young person right now, not everyone wants that. They rather stay in a high rise. And uh, Bangsa South just offers way more job opportunities in that sense. And uh, that's why the rental there is incredible. Like my, my, my audience just shared with me, he bought a uh, South Link. So it's a 450 square feet. Uh, the building has 3,000 units, which is insane, super high dense, uh, around 28 units per floor. But the rental is 2,005. The 300, wow. so, so it, we bought it in 380,000, and uh, the money installment is like 1,006, but it ran up 2,005. Wow. Then if I were to sell somebody, if you sell to somebody where the 
money in, when the money is only two thousand five, it means that I can sell up to six hundred thousand if I want to. Because if you buy a six hundred thousand property now, your money is somewhere is around two thousand five. But if I tell you that the renter can already cover the amount which you want, a lot of people will want. Then that justifies the price of six hundred thousand. Mm. So again, then if it's a landed property, it depends on how much the other person is willing to pay to stay in that area. But a lot of people think of landed right versus high right. They only think about severe alarm and Tesabak City. If you look into any others like uh, Kota Kamuning or you look into Semanye or you look into other places, right? That's not necessarily the tone of the market. Uh, mm. Yeah, so that's why if you are buying your first one, right, I will always look at uh, two things, rental returns and capital appreciation, of course. But capital appreciation in Malaysia, according to national statistics of Malaysia, right? Number one is standard terrace houses only. Not even like bungalow, not even semi-D. Terrace houses only. And come very close to that are apartments. But in terms of rental returns, number one, without a doubt, is apartments. Yeah, mm. so as long as the... That's why when I invest, I, I really don't hope for any capital appreciation. Of course, it will happen because of inflation, but... Let's say if all my properties is based on my buying price of the SBA, right? In 30 years time, how I just see again is that I will just need to work once a year. Then my, my, my tenant will help me pay for the entire year. Across 30 years, I will own the property fully. So whether or not there will be capital appreciation, right? That's a bonus for me. So, so with that, right, I'm already a winner when I buy. So it's whether I earn more or earn less. Uh, uh, it, it sounds like when you say just now, you know, apartments in Montcara, because they're maintained well, so prices are still doing okay. And when people that were landed, they think about this apart city, right? And mm. that's why I think that is better, but not necessarily every land is better. So it sounds like one very important factor is location, right? Like if you find a good location, mm. sometimes whether landed or you know, uh, or, or apartment, uh, it's okay. La, like the, because people want to live in that location. Therefore, there's demand. Yeah. And now for landed, right, there's this new conversation that I just came up with. is between individual titled one and gathered uh, and guarded ones. Like, thinking about individual titled house, let's say you own a house in Street Taling or you own a house in uh, SS2 area, right? Where your local road in front of your house indirectly becomes the main road because the main highway is constantly jammed. Then are you going to pay 1.2 million facing a road that is packed with cars? And for individual title, uh, the safety is an issue, like as the social gap between the rich and the poor continue to expand. Right? Nothing is stopping them from coming into your neighborhood. And the fear that you feel every time there's a dog bark from your neighbor two o'clock in the morning, you also scared. So there's right now a lot of landed properties that is gated and gathered, they are coming up really big. So yeah, so that's why this conversation, a lot of people think that oh landed house should make money. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Let's let's see. Yeah. 
great awesome so um yeah so thank you so much sean for your time sharing with thank us you, thank and, you. and to answer our our questions directly very very specific questions mm. uh so like i said just now i hope your bull run forecast comes true i look forward to that uh mm. and um we stay in touch lah. yeah take care Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit the subscribe button. Uh, whether you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you're trying to have a great career or if you want to succeed in business, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia, and hopefully, you can replicate some of that success yourself. Uh, we have many, many more amazing people joining us soon and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So hit that subscribe button to our podcast and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by Hiley, a full-fledged recruitment platform that helps junior to mid-level professionals discover the right place to work. So if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, uh, do check us out at hiredly.com that's h-i-r-e-d-l-y dot com thank you and i look forward to share the next episode with you soon